Matthew chapter 5. We have been working through Matthew's gospel this year, and now we are at a very important passage of Scripture. We have been looking at the Sermon on the Mount since June, and uh, now we are at the end of Matthew chapter 5, and last week I was really wrestling with how much I unpack this final verse of Matthew chapter 5. And as I've been wrestling and praying with it, I just felt like this is an important verse just to dwell on for a day. Can we do that? Can we have one sermon over one verse for a Sunday? Is that doable? Amen. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Let us stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word. I know it's only one verse, but it's still God's Word. Amen? Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. These are the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ, as he ends this first chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we stand before you at this time, and we ask, Lord, for your love and your mercies. This one verse is calling us to be perfect. And we all know, Lord, that only you are perfect. And so we stand here as we hear these words of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we are, we're just confused. Dear God, what does it mean to be perfect? How could we ever me- measure up to your perfection, your holiness, your almighty sovereignty? Lord, we are sinners in need of a Savior, and we thank you that your Son, Jesus Christ, he came, he died, and he lives again. And this is all so that we could be redeemed. And so, God, I pray at this hour of our worship, at this moment, that you would open our hearts to understand, that you would speak clearly into our spirits, that we would feel your presence here, and that we would know what it means to be your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Thank you. Jesus closes out with some very interesting words here, doesn't he? In chapter 5. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. How many people have ever read this verse and scratched their heads and thought, what is it that Jesus is calling me to? (laughs) Has anybody ever pondered these words before? See, it's interesting that Jesus closes out this first part of his Sermon on the Mount with some, actually some very uh, common themes from the Old Testament. This is a common theme. We see in uh, the Psalms, as, as Bill read for us this morning as, as our call to worship, in Psalm 18, verse 30, this God, his way is perfect, the word of the Lord proves true. We also see in Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. But Jesus here, if we we remember from the sermons of the last few weeks, Matthew chapter 5 can almost be compared side by side with Leviticus 19. Very similar themes in both passages of Scripture. And so in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, God is speaking through Moses saying, you shall be, and he, and he tells Moses to tell the people this, you shall be holy, 
for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Has anybody ever heard those words before? Has anybody ever been called to holiness? And we scratch our heads because Jesus' call for a perfection here implies that the citizens of his kingdom, remember? The Sermon on the Mount is an introduction to the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is calling for the citizens of the kingdom of heaven here in this last verse of chapter 5 to be perfect. Wow. How many of us have ever been introduced to any kind of an organization, uh, a, a citizenship of some kind that had standards that we had to meet before citizenship was granted? Many of us, we're just born into the United States. If we were born here, we're automatically citizens. But if you try to go to any other nation around the world and file for citizenship there, guess what? You're going to have to learn some things and meet some qualifications before that nation will allow you in as a citizen. The same thing happens here in the U.S. When someone comes to the U.S. from another country, there are certain things they must go through before they are granted citizenship. And it seems like here at the end of Matthew chapter 5, as Jesus has gone through a, 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 a long teaching so far of different aspects of the kingdom, he finishes up here and says, you therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. At first read, one might imagine that Jesus is preparing here a fundamentalist, dispensationalist, Baptist type of Christianity, if you know what that looks like, where there are rules to follow and dress codes to obey and holiness standards that you must adhere to in order to be a Christian. Yet in actuality, I think Jesus is calling upon all the citizens of the kingdom here to a higher standard, a higher standard of righteousness than what the Pharisees called righteous. You remember, as Jesus is comparing and contrasting the rabbinic tradition of the Mosaic law with the standards of the kingdom, he's making a very clear distinction that the legalistic interpretations of the law miss the point of God's word. There's a higher spiritual standard here. And Jesus is calling upon all of the citizens of the kingdom to be of higher righteousness than the rabbinic tradition had called people to be. Let's think about this. But the irony here is that Jesus is, his call to perfection is that no one who is honest with themselves can admit to being perfect. How many people in this room are perfect? Crickets. Nobody here wants to claim perfection? Why do we not claim to be perfect? Because we know how hypocritical it is for anyone to claim to be perfect. If we are honest with ourselves, we have to admit there is no way that we can be perfect. If someone that you know claims to be perfect, how do you respond to them? You probably snicker, you roll your eyes, blow them off, they're crazy, right? Is that true? So we, our, our perception here of perfection is something that's going to, it's going to cause us to miss what Jesus is saying if we're not careful. See, in order to understand this verse in Matthew chapter 5 verse 48, I think we need to understand what this word perfect means. So let's take a look here at this. See, the idea of perfection in this passage, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father 
is perfect. What does this mean? Without going into a systematic theology and Greek lexicon, I'm just going to tell you the word here that is translated as perfect, it implies something that has an intended purpose or an intended goal, an end to achieve. Does anybody here have a goal out there in the future that you're striving for? Has anybody got that? Unfortunately, there are many in our country right now, and I want to say uh, I see this more so in the generation that's coming behind me. It seems like many in that generation have no goals. I may be wrong in that, but I see it more so in that than I have ever seen before. Uh, and maybe I'm starting to sound old myself, but when I was of the, tw- of the 20s, I had a goal and a purpose and a plan. I knew where I was headed. I may not get there exactly the way I wanted to, but I would get there somehow. But it seems, have you, you know somebody who has no goal, no purpose, no end to strive for? You know those kind of folks? We love them, but they're kind of wandering, aren't they? And so this idea that Jesus is speaking here, the word that Matthew uses in this verse for, per, for perfect is a word that implies an intended purpose or an end, a goal. And sometimes this word is also translated as mature in other passages of Scripture. And the meaning, but, but here in Matthew chapter 5 verse 48, I think the translation for perfect is the right translation because think about it. This is talking about God the Father. Does God the Father need maturity? No. God is perfect. He is complete. He is whole. The idea here in in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 of perfection is the idea of completion, of wholeness. And God himself, the Father in heaven, is that. Wouldn't you agree? (laughs) Is God perfect? This is where you can respond to the preacher. Is God perfect? Amen. Let's hope he is. Because if God is not perfect, we're worshiping a false god. (laughs) And that's not the truth. The truth is God is perfect. He's trustworthy. He's whole. He's complete in who He is. There is nothing else that God needs to add to His existence to be who He is. So what is Jesus doing here? Jesus here is calling for the citizens of heaven to be like God. doesn't mean that He wants us to be gods. That's a, that's a false understanding here. But we are to strive to be more God-like. We are to strive to be more Christ-like. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But let's think about this, too, because the connection here to Leviticus 19, verse 2, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus is calling for perfection, but in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, the idea here is holiness. So is perfection the idea of holiness? I think yes, but I think not fully so. I think there's something else, a nuance here I want us to try to figure out here. Because God alone is holy, there is no way for us as, 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 as broken, fallen sinners to be holy. Now, in Christ, we can be redeemed and be seen as righteous in God's eyes, but God alone is holy. That's not us. See, we can conclusively see here that the end of Matthew chapter 5 
I think it means something deeper. See, the meaning of all of Scripture, I think, can be summarized right here in verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Just like the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. All of the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew's Gospel, I think can be summarized right here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. This sermon is calling the citizens of the kingdom to a certain standard that is higher than following Mosaic law legally. In other words, we are to follow God's law, follow God's word by following the spirit of that law, not discarding the law at all, as as Jesus made very clear, remember? But we are to live the spirit, the meaning, the intent of God's word. And that is as Christ lives in us. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So what's the intended purpose here? What is the end goal of all of us? The end goal for all sinners is primarily salvation. Wouldn't you agree? The end goal for all sinners, God intends, He wants to redeem us. doesn't mean that all sinners are going to be redeemed. That's a different teaching altogether. God is not going to redeem everybody. He redeems who He wants. He redeems those who love Him, and He loves them. He redeems His elect. So what... When we come to Christ, when we come to Christ in salvation, what is the purpose? What is the end goal of salvation? The purpose of the of salvation is to be like Christ. The purpose of salvation is to be made clean, to be made new, to be made whole, to be made complete in Christ. That's what we're missing. And so Jesus here, when he's calling for perfection, he's calling for completion, he's calling for wholeness, and that can only be obtained through salvation in Jesus Christ. Would you agree? See, if we're made in God's image, we already, by being made the way we are, we carry the image of God. Even sinners, whether they agree with it or not, they carry the image of God. They're just in sin. And if we're made in His image, there's this natural longing within every human being to be like their Heavenly Father. There's this natural longing, this drawing to the Father, whether we realize it or not. And when when people who are outside of Christ are confused, what they're confused about is they don't understand the longing that is within their very being. And it is Christ Himself, salvation through Jesus, that will fulfill and complete that emptiness, that longing that all of us have, right? So what Jesus is calling for here is a completeness, a wholeness. Now, if you flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we see this idea a little bit further as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The, uh, the, the word in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, is the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Here's what he says. He says, Yet among the mature, 
we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. This word here, yet among the mature, mature is the same word in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, that is used for perfect. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. The idea of maturity here in Paul's passage implies a, a different understanding of, of what, Paul, what Jesus is saying here, but Jesus is calling for something even higher. So let's look here at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's just drop down to verses 10 through 13 to understand a little bit deeper of what we're talking about here. Actually, let's begin in verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor heard, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. You see, the idea here is these verses, what Paul is saying here is they show how only through the spirit of God can anyone know the things of God. Only through the Spirit of God can anyone come to maturity in Christ. Only through the Spirit of God can anyone ever hope to even understand, much less see perfection. You see where he's going here? Perfection, maturity, completeness, wholeness. It comes through Christ, but it comes through the Spirit of God that Christ imparts amongst us. How is it that we are to be perfect? It's impossible on our own. It requires the Spirit of God with us, in us, through us, guiding us, enlightening us, growing us, right? See, how the best that you and I can hope for is to mature or to grow in our faith and to be more and more like Christ, who Himself is perfect. Amen? Just as the Father in heaven is perfect, where Jesus is perfect, we're at best maturing in the faith. If we're in the Holy Spirit, we're moving in the process. And this is what we call sanctification. It's a lifetime of learning, of growing, of maturing, of striving to that completeness, that wholeness in Christ. Amen? It's not that you have an emotional, spiritual moment when you're 8 years old, 10 years old, 20 years old, and you're perfect and complete. Can we say amen to that? There is this struggle and this war within us that is a lifetime of learning and growing to be perfect in Christ. It is a lifetime of understanding and trusting Christ in all things. So in one sense, I think Jesus is connecting his words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48 with Leviticus 19.2 about holiness. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. 
Because we're drawn to, we're, we're, we're commanded by God and called by God back to Him. You see that? So following this command in Matthew, I mean, in Leviticus 19, uh, there is a long list of, of ethical principles to live by. But, but remember, let, let's make sure we don't fall into the trap of legalism that the holiness movement has brought. Let's make sure we understand and remind ourselves that holiness is impossible for us, yet it can be strived for in Christ. And through Christ, we can be seen as holy in the eyes of the Father. And through Christ, we can grow and mature and be more holy. doesn't mean that we'll ever be holy. You see the conundrum there? (laughs) We'll never fully be holy. Yet, through God's grace, He's making us better every single day. Amen? The faith that we have in Christ is what perfects us at best as possible. You see, Jesus is not demanding the impossible of us. He's demanding perfection. And in our minds, we see that as impossible. But Jesus is clearly not demanding the impossible. He would never give us a command that is outside of our reach. He gives us a command that causes us to trust Him. We can't do this, Christ. We cannot do this, Lord. We need you. We trust you. We depend on you. You see where Jesus is leading here? You must be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. You see, what God demands is exactly and completely accomplished by Jesus. Two ways. In His sinless life, would you agree that Jesus was sinless? If he had any hint of sin in him, he could not be the sacrifice that we needed. He was sinless in his life, and then his atoning work on the cross, those two things allow any hope that we have to be perfect. He has shown us the way. He's that new Adam. He's that perfect Adam that shows us that it's doable. And we have to depend on Christ. See, the primary point that Jesus is making here in Matthew chapter 5 and through the other illustrations in the Sermon on the Mount leads his disciples to this overwhelming sense of failure. (laughs) When you're reading the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus is calling his disciples and the citizens to certain standards, we come away with this thinking, well, I'm just a failure. Don't you agree? (laughs) And is that not exactly where God wants us to be? When we understand how much we are worthless, how much we understand our failure. By doing this, Jesus is pointing out that all of us need a Savior. All of us need someone to enable us, who alone can empower us to meet up to God's standard. It's not up to us. It's up to Christ in us. It's up to us to pour out our trust and our faith, to literally lay down our lives at the cross and allow the cross to be that perfection that lifts us up. Amen? You see, perfection is then a process. It's a it's growing. It's a maturity in Christ. See, Psalm 18 and Psalm 19 remind us that perfection is found in God's Word only. Psalm 18 and Psalm 19 remind us that only God's ways are perfect. 
And so when we compare Jesus' call to perfection here in Matthew 5 with Leviticus 19 that calls us to be holy, we have to ask ourselves, is perfection and holiness the same? I'm going to say that there's both, uh, there's both a commonality and an incompatibility between the ideas of holiness and perfection. It's a both and. There's common attributes, but then there's also incompatibility as far as it relates to us. God is perfect and God is holy. We at best can strive to perfection. We cannot be fully holy. Now we can strive to that as God is calling us to be. But what is he calling us to be? You see, holiness is not an intrinsic human quality. God alone is the Holy One. He's called the Holy One of Israel. He's called the Holy One of Israel not because He attached Himself to Israel, but because He attached Israel to Himself. How is Israel called holy? They're called holy people because God Himself attaches His people to Himself. God is the one who initiates it. God's the one who causes it. God's the one who who brings us into that. And so it's only through God's revelation of Himself that not only Israel can become a holy people, but we as the church can become a holy people. There's no way for us to be a holy people. There's no way for us to be perfect people apart from God revealing Himself on what it is. So what's Jesus saying here in Matthew 5, verse 48? He's concluding in verse 48 about perfection. He's he's showing that human concepts of perfection are not what God's true perfection is. See, Jesus is calling to perfection. It's It's not to be confused with the secular or pagan ideas of perfection. Because our ideas of perfection fall far short of God in his ideas of perfection. In other words, the only means to perfection is through citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, that which is possible only through the atonement of Christ. So to live perfectly is to live righteously. The Sermon on the Mount is calling for citizens of the kingdom to be righteous. So in order to be perfect, we must be righteous. And so the Bible makes it clear that righteousness is of God alone. God alone is righteous. And if we are counted as righteous, it's only through God's grace and His mercy that we are counted as righteous. Only through the blood of Christ are we counted as righteous. Our faith in Christ is what counts us as righteous. That's it. So therefore, the only hope for us is that God alone in His holiness would impart perfection upon us. That's it. Now, this, this, how does this occur? This occurs through the incarnation of Christ, His atoning sacrifice, the forgiveness that's granted, and the gift and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers and redeemed people. Amen? So through the Holy Spirit, we're able to get there. Now, Paul speaks about this in Galatians chapter 3. Flip over to Galatians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 10. We're going to read verses 10 through 4. 14. The righteous shall live by faith. Verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. 
For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So how is it that we obtain any form of righteousness, any form of perfection? It's through the spirit. To live righteously is to live faithfully, both to Christ's atoning work and to the Spirit of God's Word. Yet the only means possible for this righteousness is through God's saving grace, God Himself. It comes through the birth of Christ. It comes through I mean, the new birth that we have in Christ. It comes through the believer receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit at that moment. And, and this is necessary for the Christian life to be able to live a life of perfection. That's it. And because it's impossible for us to fulfill the demands of God's law, it's only through the continued agreement with faith in Christ that it's possible. And it's only through the Holy Spirit that this is done. And through the devotion to God's Word and that the Holy Spirit allows us to understand and receive the truth of God's Word. You see, the Christian life, if if we're honest with ourselves, the Christian life is in constant threat. Has anybody seen that recently? The Christian life is under constant threat. Anyone who tells a new Christian otherwise is misleading them and and lying to them. The Christian life is hard. And when Christ is in us and we are genuinely showing the kindness and the mercy of Christ to others, we are threatened. Because we're under this constant threat, we're in this perpetual struggle between our sinful self and sinless perfection. We're in this constant tug of war between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world. And Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 reminds us that we are struggling to work out our salvation because we have one foot in the sinful life and one foot in this holy redeemed life. And we're, we're saved, we're redeemed, but we're not yet fully in heaven yet. And so there's this constant battle. And so perfection comes through this back and forth. Since the believer is in constant exposure to temptations and this struggle of war between the world and the heavens, the Holy Spirit is our gift The Holy Spirit is looking deep into our souls for any hint of compromise to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is looking into our souls for any hint of negligence of God's Word and looking into our souls for any self-serving attitudes or indifference to the gospel. In order to live perfectly, we need the gift of the Holy Spirit to remind us, to inspire us, to convict us. Amen? 
If we are in Christ and we somehow fall off the path, and that happens. How many people know that you have days as a Christian that are not perfect? (laughs) Amen? We have the gift of the Spirit that convicts us, draws us back to where we need to be, and it is Christ and Christ alone that continues to walk with us and guide us and love us and mature us and make us complete and make us whole. Here's how we can understand this gift of the Spirit in this life of perfection. Carl F.H. Henry tells us this, Through the Spirit, the seemingly inaccessible God relates himself dynamically to his redeemed people. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, when Jesus says that citizens of the kingdom are to be perfect, as God their heavenly Father is perfect. It is the Spirit of God himself that enables this. God initiates the relationship to us, his redeemed people. Think about that. We can't be perfect, but God is showing us that He is, and He initiates the call. Now, now the Apostle Peter also calls for this idea of perfection. In 1 Peter chapter 1, flip over there. 1 Peter chapter 1, and he also shows the connection with the gift of the Spirit here in this. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. Now, Peter, if you remember, we, we preached through the, gospel, or through the epistle of Peter uh, about a year and a half to two years ago. Remember here, he, he's preaching to a diaspora of Christians, Christians in the ancient world that had been scattered throughout the Roman Empire. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that would be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now look here at verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's need, each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You see, Peter is calling the Christians to make sure that their conduct is holy. Now notice, he's not calling for Christians to be holy. That's reserved for God alone. But our conduct, our behavior, our actions, our thoughts can be conformed into the holiness and perfection of God without us actually being elevated to holiness. So I'm just trying to make us understand that we cannot be God. That's impossible. And Scripture is not calling us to be God. But but Scripture is clearly calling 
all of God's people, all of the believers, all of the redeemed in Christ, to be perfect as God is perfect, to act in holiness as God is holy. But we have to remember that we cannot fake our way into this. We cannot put a, we cannot put the hypocritical mask on and fake holiness. We cannot fake perfection. Cause trust me, everyone who tries to fake holiness and try to fake per, uh, perfection are clearly seen as not holy and not perfect. It's not hard to see the, fa- the problem. It's not hard to see that they're faking it. Amen. How many of us have rolled our eyes at people who try to act holy? And we clearly know the truth. The word perfect here in Matthew's gospel, I think it speaks more specifically to the response of the whole heart. In other words, don't respond to the gospel. Don't respond to Christ. Don't respond to the call to the kingdom in half-hearted, hypocritical ways. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 verse 48 is calling for and demanding a response of the whole heart. Because remember perfection here, the word for perfection here is dealing with completeness. It's dealing with wholeness. And it's the response of the whole heart to Christ. It's a total and thorough commitment to Christ. It is a total and thorough commitment to the will of God. For Jesus, he's saying that the pursuit of righteousness is obeying God's will in all its aspects, and it is to be the first priority of his people. Remember in, in the Matthew chapter 5, he's contrasting very starkly the difference between citizenship in the kingdom and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the rabbinic tradition. What Jesus is calling perfect here is a full and complete, genuine commitment to God's will. And if that is there, we'll be as perfect as God can make us perfect. And that's much better than what you and I can do. Amen? Now here's another easy, here's, here's a more clear way to see perfection. We're going to close with this. The theme of holiness in the New Testament. Remember, Leviticus points to holiness. And Matthew's gospel points to perfection. The theme of holiness in the New Testament is both disconcerting and disarming. The Holy Spirit is that full and furious will of God, or wind of God, right? The Holy Spirit is seen as a wind. And this furious wind of God brings either divine destruction to the wicked or divine deliverance to the faithful. And so this passionate urgency that holiness demands of the people of God now is upon us in the church. Holiness is seen to be an integral part to the Christian's calling. 
into our election. God calls out his elect. So how do we close out this idea here in Matthew chapter 5? Next week we'll jump on to Matthew chapter 6, okay? But this idea of you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, this command must be. Jesus is not expecting us to be as perfect as God. But he is expecting us to have a passionate commitment to God's will. And in doing so, God will impart upon us the gift of the Spirit through Christ that does guide us and change us and lead us into God's will. The desire and the passion, a genuine desire and passion for God's will will be perfection and holiness and maturity in Christ. Not some passive, casual church existence. Here at Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, this I want to remind you that it was October of 2017, three years ago, starting next week, that we began meeting as a church. And the core of this church body all agreed we are going to strive for and call for genuine faith in Christ. We want a congregation here of genuine Christians. And what that genuine status is, to be genuine is to have a passionate craving, a real true desire for God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And I thank God that in our three years together, we have not had any church politics to have to deal with. Thank you. We're not perfect. But we do have a craving and a desire, a burning desire that God places in us to be His people. And that faith and that trust in Christ is guiding us and making us perfect as God Himself is perfect. When we fail, genuine trust in the Lord is we admit it. Dear God, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sinner and I need you. And when we fail each other, we are genuine and we love each other and we confess that to one another. That's about as perfect as it gets in this world. And we're just striving for that perfection in God that He alone can give us. And the only part that we have in this whole endeavor is a submissive love and surrender to the power of Christ. He'll make us perfect. If we must be perfect, we have no choice but to say, okay, God, this is your standard. I, you're going to have to do this, Lord. I can't. I had a conversation this week with somebody as we were talking about some issues and wrestling through things. And this person told me, he said, Pastor, I can't do that. I said, no, you can't. But in Christ, you can. He'll be right there with you. He'll guide you through it. He'll change you. Amen? Let's, let's close in prayer. 
Father God, we thank You for Your Word. And the words of Your Son, Jesus Christ, are difficult for us to hear because there is a standard set in Your Word that we cannot meet. Human history shows time and time again the Old Testament accounts of Your interaction with Your people Israel show time and time again how it is impossible for us to meet up to your standards of holiness, your standards of perfection. It is impossible for us to be mature in the faith alone. And I think, God, what you're doing is by this, by setting up this, this command, setting up this standard, you are setting up a, a situation where we must depend on Christ. And Lord, your wisdom is so clear here. If we are to be perfect, Lord, we must depend on you. And if we are to be perfect, Lord, we surrender and we ask you to make it happen and cause us to desire it, but also cause us to be molded and shaped. Lord, we fail you every single day. And I, for one, am glad that You give us grace. Your mercy pours out upon us when we are in our worst situations. Your grace is given to us and we clearly don't deserve it. And so God, I pray that You would cause everyone in this room to desire perfection as You call us to be but in doing so, we forget our own efforts and we depend 100% on Your Spirit doing the work in us. That's the root of faith. That's the root of the Gospel. And so, Father, I thank You for Your, your rich wisdom here. And I thank You for loving us. And I pray, God, that we could meet up to your standards as you make us able and as you change us into the men and women you want us to be. Lord, as we close out this time of worship, I pray that your Spirit would just be here heavily and that your Spirit would inspect our hearts and reveal to us areas of ourselves that need some perfecting, and that is a gift that you've given us as your people. And I thank you for that. Help us, Lord, to understand your word. Help us through your spirit to gain understanding and wisdom of what it means to be more and more like Christ. Let this time be for you, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. God bless you.